Welcome to the Turquoise Coconut Podcast. In episode 5, we are talking to jazz horn player and composer Jim Rattigan. Incredibly hot day. It is. Yeah. It is. Nice no, pleasure. Jim, of course, is. Uh, I didn't leading. have to come far. No. Well, thank <laughs> you for inviting me here on this incredibly hot day. Yeah, I wish my air conditioning worked in the car. Jim is uh, one of the leading French horn players in this country, especially in the jazz world, which is quite uncommon, and uh, and also a wonderful composer. How's the monk shedding going? You're working on some yeah. famous monks. Yeah, I'm doing a project. There's a very there's a lot of monk going on at the moment for his birthday celebrations yeah yeah so it's great we're doing uh, a couple of gigs two yeah. or three gigs yeah so um, it's it's great to in a way it pushes you into having to learn the tunes and the changes yeah because you can't really blow improvise you need to internalise the changes you know so and yeah. you don't play a lot of monk tunes generally you know, you play the obvious ones, straight no chaser and all that, and it's around midnight, but you don't, <clears throat> the other ones you don't play so much, so it's a great opportunity. Yeah. What a writer. Yeah. Um, I was actually thinking about it on the way over here, that um, he did have an association with Julius Watkins. He did? The horn player. So. Very much so. Yeah, so. Absolutely. Yeah, it's one of the times when French horn actually does pop up yeah. in, in the jazz yeah. uh, world. Absolutely. He did, did lots with, yeah. with Monk. Yeah. Yeah. Sort Great of, stuff. He had a kind of sort of similar ensembles to your your current twelve piece version mm. of Pavillon. Yeah. When he was touring Europe, he kind of, it was sort of something along the same lines, right? Did that? Yeah. Well, we're doing Monk in Town Hall. We're doing yeah. the music from that right. okay. album. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we're doing. Yeah. And uh, there was a French horn in that. It was Bob Northern. He didn't improvise. Great player, but yeah, similar like similar. I've got it's um what is it it's three saxes yeah tuba doubling euphonium this is uh, Pavillon no of, the, the, the monk the, in yeah, town okay, hall sorry, yeah. and uh, tenor trombone mm-hmm. and a trumpet uh, piano bass drums obviously so similar but I've got three trumpets in mine twelve piece right the three saxes is the same mm-hmm. and um, tenor alto baritone and I've got tenor trombone but I've got bass trombone and then obviously the French horn so yeah it's similar hmm. how did that group come about Pavillon as it well, stands at the moment the yeah group? it was um, a birthday a rather big birthday not as big as monks yeah <laughs> <But> not far <laughs> off <laughs> and uh, I decided as a birthday present to myself <clears throat> I, I wrote a load of music for various odd gigs, but nothing, you know, ongoing for that combination. And uh, in fact, one of them was for a Trinity uh, concert with, with the students, and I wrote a couple of tunes for them. 
of that combination. So I adapted some of, used some of that material. Chamber, chamber music, some music stuff. The canyons and, and uh, yeah. uh, decided to record, yeah. write a lot more, and make a record for my, the a bird tour. Yeah. 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 This was in wow. 2011. Anyway. 20, well, talk about some of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm trying to nick it now. All the players were from all the periods of my musical life. Apparently, the right of spring. And they're great players. Totally, note speak. for note from a folk oh, song. Really? Yeah. Right. Note for note, didn't even change it. Oh, that's the best bit as well. And then, then the you know, bassoon at the beginning. Yeah. Just a little bit after it's that. Note for like note, that, a folk song I'm from Hans David Jean. But it's not. He didn't even bastardise it. Hide it. He just it is note for note that folk song. Jazz. And that was a massive. No, my life. But but Stravinsky said himself, "You don't. I'm at the slightly younger." Generation, when you get from composers, inspiration is it? Yeah, Steve you don't get inspiration from yeah. composers, yeah. you still so it's like three yeah. different yeah. periods of my life. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I got them all okay. together and uh, uh, made an album, but yes. I didn't think much, it was really just to for, for myself, my own indulgence. Yeah, well, it's come out well, and you've just yeah. uh, released it. Uh, what would it be? Five years later? Well. well, it was sort of released at the time. Oh, okay. I put it out um, yeah. on my own label, yeah. Pavillon. Yeah. In fact, I think I may well have started the label just to put it out. Right, okay. In yeah. fact, on my own. And yeah. got some distribution from mm-hmm. proper... Can I advertise? Proper. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and um, I didn't think much more about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then some of the guys says, let's do a gig, you know, and then I sort of did a couple of gigs and it went down very well, mm-hmm. you know, and I was pleasantly surprised that how, how well it was received. And I had other projects that, that we'll probably cover later on, mm-hmm. but on the go, other ideas, as you know, you always get lots of ideas at the same time, you know, and when I get an idea, I, to, I need to get it down, you know, right. so... Time went by, mm. and uh, eventually I got a tour together, mm-hmm. and proper were very nice, and they re-released it. So that's why it sounds like it was released yeah. five years after sure. I made it. But actually, it was re-released to coincide with the tour. That was a great tour. We caught you mm. at um, Cafe Bosque. Yeah, yeah, in January. yeah. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having us. That was Top great. Yeah. Yeah, that was great. That was a great tour. Yeah. I loved it. It was brilliant. Best thing. Yeah. The music on the, the album, I've just been listening to it again uh, just before I arrived. And it's really, um, I, f- I kind of feel like it's got, it's got foot in the, um, the kind of idiom, the old school stuff, this sort of almost a big band swing. And you've also got this quite dense harmony a lot of the time. Quite, um, it's quite challenging, some of the yeah. stuff, to mm. my ears anyway. Mm. How, how did you sort of, well, a lot of, I mean, a lot of the, yeah, there's the traditional sort of like rhythm changes, if you like, that sort of, and then I take some the sort of, you know, the, the falling triads over, over a pedal, things like that, Co- you know, common mm-hmm. things that are used in jazz, yeah. Coltrane to Freddie Hubbard, who use that a lot, and, but also cl- the, some of the classical music that I've yeah. played, some of the so the, the chordal structure from that, and then classical themes actually as well. Mm-hmm. I sort of 
don't know nicked. You, yeah. What have you nicked? Are you, you're not at liberty to say. Um, that well, on that one, yeah. oh, what did I nick from that one? No, I didn't. I don't know. Now I've said it, it's not on that album. Yeah, but, I know. But I know Strong T, for instance, there's a middle, the middle bit of Strong T mm-hmm. is a big horn tune. Yeah. And I've done a lot of film music. I've done a lot of film music and I did a lot of James Bond movies. Yeah. And I love that sweeping James Bond theme. You know, yeah. I love playing yeah. that. That was great fun. So I put that in. It's nothing like James Bond, but it's that sweeping sound. So yeah. I used that. Which sounds great on a French horn, you yeah. know, that, that sort of yeah. thing. So I didn't steal no, sure. much. Steal inspired. Yeah. inspired, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, I didn't steal anything for that. Did I? No, I didn't. No. It definitely occurred to me when I was listening to it that it feels quite um, cinematic in places. Yeah. Even though there's still, it's still kind of swinging along. Yeah. There's definitely a feeling of, you can tell that you've, you're familiar with the classic soundtracks. Yeah. I mean, there's some influences come from many different places. I mean, for instance, Dulwich Park, that's obvious. It's mm-hmm. Dulwich Park's around the corner for me. And I wrote a tune that, I was just walking through there and I wrote a tune that hopefully evokes a walk in the park, you know. And then I heard someone calling their dog and, and calling their dog. And so I put that as a counter melody. So that has come from someone calling their dog. Yeah, that's great. Which is bizarre. said you're um you were a freelance uh horn player french horn player in the orchestral world well yeah. not just orchestral but you spent a large part of your time in your the first part of your career doing a lot of um freelance doing all the big london orchestras yeah doing sessions and then um did six years with the rpo That's i joined the rpo yeah yeah, yeah. Um, my um, late 20s yeah yeah and then you made a you went into full-time jazz yeah, yeah. I, I did that for about six years they have 19 95. I left because yeah. I wanted to write music more. Uh, that was the main thing. And getting to jazz, I had this thing about playing jazz on a French horn, but really getting into it. I mean, as you know, the, playing in an orchestra is full time, you know, especially a job. And even when you're not there, you're sort of, it's all part of your life. It's a way yeah. of life. It's not a job. Mm-hmm. It's um, hard work. Yeah. And yeah, it's hard work. It's great. But, you know, touring is, I was touring six months a year. Uh, so even when you've got time off, it's very hard to motivate yourself to start, go mm-hmm. upstairs and start writing music. You want to do something different. So I decided, I took the plunge and left. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I mean, I did okay because I had a lot of freelance still film music and sessions oh. and things like that. Yeah. So it wasn't as if I was starving or anything. Yeah. <laughs> um. And then you ended up playing with, um, well, were you already playing with Hans Collar? No, actually. Was that something that happened after? Uh, that, 
the only thing I'd done really in that period was I played a bit with Bobby Lamb Ray Premier Big Brand. Mm-hmm. I'd done a bit of Simon Purcell Octet. We did a tour. And uh, I played on Mike Gibbs' album, Mike By The Way, which was great. And then when I left the orchestra, I met a few other people through Simon. And one of them was Sarah Homer, who's played bass clarinet in Hans's band called Magic Mountain. And the French horn player left. He didn't want to do it anymore. So she said to Hans, you know, I know this French horn player. Give him a call. And he called me and that was it. That was... uh, my life changed overnight. Yeah. So that oh, really had a big impact me. on Massive, it. yeah. yeah. Absolutely you, massive. Were you going in that kind of quite jazzy direction already? Or was I didn't music... really have a clue, to be right. honest. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to play jazz on the French horn. I'd always done a bit of jazz piano, but only for my own enjoyment, really. Yeah. I'm not, you know, I. it was really, uh, you know, uh, I loved Oscar Peterson. He was a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And I used to try and copy his licks and stuff like that. On the piano? A bit, bit ambitious, yeah, yeah, on the piano. Not on the French horn? No, I never thought the French horn worked in jazz, to be mm. honest. You I couldn't find mind. a place for it. Mm. I think it does work, but it's an ongoing it's an ongoing adventure, if, if you want thought of another yeah. word, to find out where it really sits. And I'm yeah. still working on it, to be honest. Yeah. But if you try and play like... Um, a saxophone on the horn. Mm-hmm. I, personally, I don't think it's going to work. So what you've got to do is try and find your own voice and try and find your own... Uh, where it really, really works. Yeah. Sorry, I'm banging the table. That's all right. Uh, which I'm still searching. Still searching, believe yeah. it, you know, after all these years. But, yeah, so I'd, I was familiar with that sort of jazz, and I always mm-hmm. listened to jazz. Mm-hmm. But... Really, it was a piano that I was going to pursue. I, I still, I didn't really. I just still played for my own enjoyment. And then I joined Hans's band and mm. that all changed. Yeah. You've had a long um, association with him. Yeah, it was amazing. Yeah. But that was very improvised. I mean, which sounds a funny thing to say, but there, there were changes. There were chord mm. changes. And, and the first time he asked me a solo... Didn't mean anything to me, to be honest. It was completely <laughs> out of my depth. Right. So I just improvised, literally, and pretended that I knew what was going on. Yeah. And and it was okay, it wasn't great, but it wasn't, it was interesting. And the band said, yeah, this is quite interesting, you know, keep doing what you're doing. So it was really more improvised, what I did. It wasn't, it wasn't steeped in language, the yeah. history of jazz. And I've been working on that since, so yeah. I've sort of gone back. Mm-hmm. I'm working backwards now to get more into the, yeah. you know, the change, you know, yeah. the really into, the really into you know, yeah. what, how it's gone before. Yeah. You know, which is important. I think everyone should do that. Absolutely. Yeah. I wish I'd done it more then, but mm-hmm. we were doing so much. It was great. Yeah. You know, we were doing loads and mm-hmm. it was really great. And it worked for that. You made a, you made your first album with Hans. Yeah. Hans. Yeah. Stuart Lawrence on the drums, Dave Whitford, yeah, Amy Gamling, yeah, Quintet. Not too long after, I suppose, a few years after you joined Hans. Yeah, I mean, I wrote a load of music, and Hans said, "Let's record it." I mean, again, most of it's improvised, <laughs> literally, yeah. on my part. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I wrote a load of music for that for that uh, 
Yeah. I really enjoyed the writing. You know, I, I enjoy writing. I find that very satisfying. Because you do have quite, you do use a lot of counterpoint and yeah, more, I love counterpoint. Yeah, more classical kind of. I absolutely love counterpoint. I was, I was very good at it when I was doing my uh, A levels and things right. like that. And I, yeah. I used to do it for fun. I used to do the homework and do more. I just love the way the two things, you know, the way lines yeah. link in together and all that sort of thing. I, I find that really fun. But uh, yeah, so I incorporated that. You know, uh, from yeah, from my classical training. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you write the piano, or do you write? Yeah, the write the piano. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But <clears throat> sometimes I might be practicing something on the horn. Mm-hmm. So something from your technique, as you've been ignoring for a while, slurs or something like that, or leaps or something. So I'll be practicing, and all of a sudden a tune will come out of the practice. So a lot of those tunes on that mm-hmm. were out come came out of practicing slurs or something right and i thought instead of just practicing them mm-hmm. write a tune make it might choose. make the practice more interesting yeah that's a really good way of getting around um anything that's kind of a, a gap in your ability or your knowledge yeah. so even if it's something harmonic you don't understand you could write a tune yeah write a tune about it, it. Yeah, and then you will understand it yeah, you'll yeah. Be absolutely familiar. absolutely speaking of um technique and practicing leaps and slurs and all that kind yeah. of thing you were mentioning earlier that um you still, you still don't exactly know where you feel the horn belongs, the French horn belongs. In yeah, uh, what that's makes my, it difficult? Oh, well, that's it's partly I'm making it difficult for myself in a way, because you, I like to play the horn. The sound I make on the horn uh, is the, now in jazz is the same sound I would have made playing in the RPO, playing Brahms or Strauss, whatever. And that's my big thing, the yeah. sound. It's an orchestral sound. I'm not saying that uh, jazz French horn players, mm-hmm. there's no such thing as a wrong sound or a mm-hmm. right sound. It's your sound. What, what I want to do is keep that orchestral sound going. Yeah. What I've cultivated over the years mm-hmm. through m- immense amount of work. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's like that's the, the essence of your instrument is the sound you want to make. Yeah. But to produce that sound takes a certain amount of technique that doesn't lend itself mm-hmm. to to the way you play jazz the articulation or so i've got to try and incorporate the two yeah and what happens when you play in a more sort of for instance bebop type phrasing you can your sound can suffer and so i want to keep so i want to the best of both worlds yeah and, and that's where yeah, that's where it's, that's what makes it difficult. Was if I bought a smaller horn, a bigger mouthpiece, and mm-hmm. just didn't worry about, mm-hmm. didn't think about the sound, it'd be much easier. Or play something else. Yeah, 
So you've been, you're sticking to your guns. Just I am, I am. Yeah. It's just sort of crazy. Yeah. Well, there's no other reason to do it, really, is there? No. Yeah. It's just a lot of abuser on something else. Yeah. Yeah. I'm getting there. Yeah. I think. It kind slowly. of reminds me, because I suppose the violin, less so than yeah, the French horn, is a fringe instrument in, yes, the, in the jazz. Yeah, apart absolutely. From French um, you know, gypsy jazz. Yeah. And I've encountered the same thing, I've been told. Um, you sound like a classical player. Yeah, that's uh, the danger. You see, yeah. you know, you get you know, you you hit a high note and you go on a horn. You know, and you go, yeah. go you know, it's this perfect note. You know, lovely, perfect, right in the middle. Yeah, you know, they want to hear you struggle. But, yeah. you know, which is easy. I struggle a lot of the time, but but you've spent your whole life trying yeah. to make it sound easy. Yeah, across the range, whereas that, in fact, it's what's exciting. Is when it really, you know, you can get that killing sort of like a high note Joel Connell train does, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, uh, you mm-hmm. know, really angst ridden and Miles Davis, yeah, you know, that's so it's incorporating all that, and we and I suppose this baggage as well because we've been trained to, yeah, for perfection, uh, you know, and of yeah. course perfection doesn't always mean beautiful or great. Mm. You know, how do you perfect? How do you find? Leads me to wonder how you find uh, the difference between the two worlds. Not that they're entirely divided, but of classical, you know, the classical world of Lon- in London and in the jazz scene in London and how they kind of compare professionally well, what I've, and what I've noticed, What I've noticed is when I was playing, when I played classical music, the, the admiration that classical musicians have got f- for jazz musicians, that they can improvise. They don't need any music. You make a recording and you turn up on the day and you play this recording. They can't understand that. They can't get a head around that. Mm. You do a gig and you might not have rehearsed at all. You do a, a gig tomorrow night with playing standards and you might not have played together. So there was that much massive admiration from. Uh, and what I've noticed in classical mu- uh, jazz musicians is that there's a massive admiration mm-hmm. for classical players yeah. who sit there. And playing perfectly all day, you know, which is what we're asked to do, isn't yeah. it? You know, if you're if you're in an orchestra and you've got ten o'clock rehearsal, that has to be as right as it does at seven thirty for the concert. Mm-hmm. There's no rehearsal. They want to hear it right at ten o'clock and at seven thirty, and also film sessions or whatever. Think you know, you, there's no. Mm-hmm. You know, so that, that perfection is there, which is a skill and a great skill to have, you know, amazing. But whereas in jazz, for instance, on that first album, when, it, when, I, when that came out, there's a few notes that you could call splits. You know, we call them split notes on a whole, where you've missed a note. But are they? You know, and yeah. uh, they're not actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> between you and me. <laughs> Well, a couple might be, yeah. but on the whole, but so what if the music sounds right and you split a note for want of a better fright of way of putting it, you wouldn't go back and redo that if the, if it feels good, mm-hmm. if the music's good, yeah, you wouldn't dream of doing another take for a, for a note that is slightly clipped or isn't perfectly down the center. Whereas in classical music, that's another take. Yeah. It has to be done again. So there's the diff- there's the two mm-hmm. worlds. There's the difference in the two worlds. Yeah. And are they? Do you feel like they're irreconcilable? Because we've got a trend of people more so now 
coming up in both traditions. Mm. For example, yourself. Um, I think that's great. Thomas Gould, you yeah. recorded with. Yeah. Um, can't think off the top of my head, but a number of players who are starting to be proficient and know know their stuff about both worlds and yeah. can step into both worlds. Yeah. So you feel like it's it's not either or. No, it's doable. I think it influences your playing on both sides. So what what might come out of that is I think if it influenced your classical playing, there'd be a problem. You could turn up and start swinging the quavers, you know, Mozart Symphony. Well, that'd sound great. Yeah. But you'd be the only one doing it. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it doesn't work, obviously. But if your classical playing influenced your jazz, there's more of an open, open Mm -hmm. colour palette, you know, that you can use that. Although the feel has to be... Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It has to feel different, but the actual, I think there's more scope from that for that way sure. than the other way. Although the, the kind of, the freedom, just purely having the freedom to improvise and yeah. it's so often the case when, this was certainly the case for me until a certain point where you'd say improvise to a class, you know, a class, classically trained player and it's mm. kind of like rabbit in the headlight moment. Yeah. Whereas you've got you've stepped out of that world, whether it be into jazz or, or improvised classical music or folk music or or certain other traditions around the globe, suddenly your whole music making is opened up a bit. I find so. Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, a lot of classical music, you know, hundred years ago, the, mm-hmm. the cadenzas, for instance. Yeah, I remember doing an audition for Cambridge. What was it Cambridge County Youth Orchestra? And I did Mozart Fourth Orchestra and. Came to the cadenza, which is just the bit where you show off, you know. And uh, I didn't have a cadenza written. There was nothing there. And so I stopped and the, the, the guys on the panel said, have you got a cadenza? I said, no, uh, no. And they said, well, cadenza's supposed to be made up. That's what they were there for. Would you like to just make something up? So I did. I just made something up. Yeah. And it uh, felt very at home, actually. And I got the gig, so it can't have been that bad. Yeah. But that's what it used to be. Cadenza was an improvisation. So I don't know where it's, where it's lost its yeah. way. Maybe recorded music had an impact Again, on the it. perfection yeah. thing. Trying to recreate, yeah. recreate the, um, the recorded version. Yeah. So, I mean, everyone can improvise. Mm-hmm. There's no such thing as saying, I can't improvise. Yeah, you just need everyone to can. It's just a matter of uh, what you're if what you're improvising, someone likes, you know. But at the end of the day, that goes for anything. Yeah, you write a piece of music, someone might not like it. You can't write a piece of music to be liked. You just have to do what you do. You know. So we talked about your first album, post orchestra, I'll call it. Um, yeah, you guys, and then yeah. we talked a bit about Strong T, which was recorded in 2010. Um, yeah, and in between that, we've got um, jazz French horn. Is that jazz right? French horn, yes. Yeah, I actually searched for this, and there's another album I think called French Horn Jazz. Yeah, it's Tom Varner, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, he's great. Right. Yeah, that was the first jazz French horn album I bought. Right? Did French you horn. did you take that name as a kind of? No, I just couldn't think of a title. To be right. honest, okay. we'd we'd done a load of gigs yeah. that quartet. We'd yeah. done a lot. I'd fixed up a load of gigs. Yeah. On that record, you've got you were with Hans again, Hans. Yeah, so when I joined Magic Mountain, which was amazing, and Hans' writing is fantastic, and he's been a massive influence. 
and uh, I've got so much respect for him. It's fantastic. We started doing a lot of duos and stuff, you know, and I'd fix up some gigs at, at horn festivals and go and play stuff and they, you know, something different, yeah. you know, that, that, that uh, which actually went down quite well. You know, there's a tradition about French horn playing. It has to be a certain way if you're to a lot of people, but some people are very open-minded to it, you know, and it went down well. So we did a lot of, a lot of that. And uh, so I decided to get a, make an album. And that was, done, that was done in a very short space of time because there was a problem with the, where we recorded it. It was done, started about 10 in the morning. Mm-hmm. And at one o'clock, went in the, after a few takes and a few breaks and whatever, went in, <clears throat> check it all out. And um, it was all ruined by the, there's something wrong with the desk. There was a beep on all of it, all the way through a little yeah, beep. So we had to get an engineer down who fixed the desk. So we went for lunch, came back, and just played everything once or twice, in fact. And that was it. So it was done, it actually done a couple of hours. That's brilliant. That's but I played a Wagner tuba on that. Yeah, I was going to ask about that. That's, yeah. Um, Probably the only time the Wagner tube has ever made a jazz appearance. I don't know, is it? It could be. You probably know better than I would. I don't know. I can't think of one. No. If anybody listening to this knows of an example, send us a a little message. Kind of mostly a mixture of um, standards, standards and yeah, not but they're so not standards. they're not your standard standards. Yeah. They're quite off the wall. Yeah, um, not off the wall, but they're Unusual. not. Yeah, they're not uh, the, the regular what you'd hear see in a, here. I was glad to see uh, and hear Black Nar- Narcissus. Uh, yeah, Joe Henderson tune. Which yeah, is just beautiful. Yeah, wonderful tune. Yeah, and uh, Steve Swallow's on there, isn't he? Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's Ida Down. Yeah. Yeah. great tune. Yeah, lovely. They're all great tunes. Yeah. So why did you pick this bunch of tunes? Well, a lot of that, again, was Hans's influence. All right. Because okay. I said, look, I, should, you know, I want to learn some standards. He said, oh, you try these. These are really good tunes. You know, and so basically I got... Mm-hmm. It's now. It's really now that I'm learning the standard standards. Yeah. You know, I've, I've yeah. started the wrong way around. You know, <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, I jumped in and tried to swim, and now I'm learning how, yeah. how to do the, you know. But it was great. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was fantastic. Mm-hmm. But... Uh, and that's also with Dave Whitford again yeah, uh, and on bass and Gene Calderato. Yeah. Uh, great, great, great. Yeah, they, they were wonderful there. on that yeah. tour we did. They were so supportive. Yeah. I mean, they had to put up with a lot. Right. We're all in one car, you know. Yeah, with a bass as well. Bass, keyboards, drums. Yeah. <laughs> Two in the back. I hope it wasn't Redrum. as hot as it is at the moment. It wasn't hot, but it was pretty depressing. <laughs> 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 yeah, one gets a bit boring after a while. Yeah, of course. But uh, the, the other gig's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so flash forward a little bit. Yeah. And uh, Shuzzed, Just. another album of mostly um, standards. Yeah. And this time you're getting your chops out. Big chops yeah, out. Yeah, I, th- I did. I thought I'd learn giant steps. I thought I'd yeah. really try and learn it properly. So I transcribed, you know, 
solo and John yeah. Coltrane solo and, and things like that. <clears throat> so I wanted to get that together and I I really wanted to try and get into bebop, tr- really try and see if I could do it, you know, mm-hmm. basically. How does it translate onto the horn? Because I know people always talk about the horn, French horn, as a this fearsomely difficult instrument. You yeah. don't touch it with a barge pole and, you know, you've got to have nerves of steel and it's yeah. it's unpredictable at the best of times. How does it... You seem to get around the instrument very fluidly, you know, yeah. playing playing kind of horn, horn, jazz horn lines and um, without any kind of what sounds like particular difficulty. How does that how do uh, find bridging the gap between the instrument and the music? Well, I think one of, yeah, it's the, the, the thing about the French horn is that the, it's so long, the tube is so long. It's all coiled up, obviously, but it's just one long bit of tubing. So the harmonics are... Um, it's easy, basically, it's easy. You can press any number of vowels down and play just about any note. They're there to assist. If you press a certain, you could press one and three vowels down and not necessarily hit the note you're looking for. This, so you have to hear it, you know, yeah. really. <clears throat> and they, they assist you in getting the right. note, but they don't, it's, it doesn't mean you've got to get it. Yeah. But it's, <clears throat> so you have to make the notes. And of course, because it's got rotary vowels, I think that's why people say it's fiendish because it's quite random. Right. It's pretty random. So you need to hear everything. You need to. It well. helps. Yeah. yeah. It helps. If you kind of. Yeah. If you if you were playing, for example, in an, an orchestra and sight reading a very difficult contemporary piece without much of a pitch base, you yeah. struggle to kind of. You would uh, at first, but you get used to it. Strangely, right. you do get used to it. But mm. when people say it's hard to learn, I think that's why they say that. Because you could honestly pressing first valve down to get a B flat, and it could be you could get anything, you know. Right. And the higher you go, the more so that is. You could press anything down, but um, that's why they say. And you know, and it's not as notchy as a trumpet. It's all very close together, so the harmonic series is all. So you could, when you go to hit a note, it's easy to, it's easier to miss it. That's why they say it's fiendish. Yeah. Do you it's miss by a big margin on a horn or by a small, you know, if you, if you split a note on a trumpet, you, it could be quite a big margin. Yeah, it can be quite big, can't it? Yeah. Um, it, it's not as drastic because it's so close, but you know all about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's big enough. Yeah. <laughs> we call it Strangers in the Night. <laughs> if you did a bad one, you know, you say, oh, I did a Strangers in the Night. Because it goes, da 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 Yeah. You go hit the note, da 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 Oh, I did the strangers in the night. You might have to write a tune with uh, yeah. sorts of split notes now. Yeah, yeah. Pew, pew, pew. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a good space. idea. I'll yeah. do that. Write them in. Yeah. So, but when you're playing jazz lines, quite mm. chromatic a lot of the time and arpeggiated, um, that doesn't necessarily... It's not a whole new world. It's still within the remit of the... Not Well, it is not really, because what when you're playing lines like that on a horn, you have to articulate... Because it's a rotary valve system, when you blow, when you when you do fast valve movement, it can be very woolly. If you're not careful, mm-hmm. so really the best way of playing jazz is to articulate each note, almost like scat singing, right. while you're playing the notes on the horn. Mm-hmm. So you use your tongue to to give it the notchiness. Because when you play a trumpet, if you Press the valve down, it breaks the air that's going through it, cuts mm. it, so it gives it a slightly notchy 
sound that you can get more of a da 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 from yeah. that. Actually, I, I got that from um, Gerard Presenza, you know, the trumpet player. I did a tour with Mike Gibbs' band and he was on. Mm-hmm. I did a solo and he said, sound better if you did this. And he showed me a little technique to practice. Mm-hmm. And I did it. It was brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. So, and uh, it improved your chops as well, which is good. Because when you practice jazz on the horn, what tends, tends to thrash your chops, your lips. You know, that's what I found early on. So that was very difficult to play jazz for a couple of days, especially practicing, and then turn up for a session the next day because your chops would be mm-hmm. in a jazz sort of feel, and which is not the same for going, ooh, you know, hitting a note in the middle. And um, But with this way of practicing, it actually improved my chops, which was brilliant. So mm-hmm. I owe him a fiver yeah. or tenner something, yeah. or pint. Yeah, but um, yeah. So that's that's why it be, that's why it's difficult, right? That's why it's difficult because you have to manufacture more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you get you get around all these cha- these uh, historically notorious tunes: yeah. Giant Steps, Cherokee, um, Donnelly, Donnelly, Yardbird yeah. Suite. So you you really um, Yardbird's great. It's right there. in the middle of the horn. Right. The the pitch the the yeah. where it's written is really good. Whereas um. A lot of bebop tunes are written, you know, for the alto, obviously, Charlie Parker. And that's really, it's awkward on the horn because it's either too low or too hot, muddy, mm-hmm. it's too low or, or a bit, you know, a bit strained because it's all up there. Mm-hmm. So on Donna Lee, I drop octaves. Shust from yeah. 2004 so, no sorry 2010 um, that was a slightly different group you were playing with then uh, Phil Robson yeah. on guitar Phil Duncan on bass and Gene Carrasso again on the drums yeah the indefatigable energy yeah oh it's great yeah but I, I did some gigs with, um, and it was guitars I mean I, various gigs and I like the sound of the horn with the guitar mm-hmm. in fact I'd like to do more of that the two complements of them really well. And I've been playing with Phil a lot in various bands, Hans's band. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I wanted to do uh, an album with... Uh, and he's got a killing technique. And yeah. then Phil Donkin's a very good friend of mine. Right. And he's been great whenever he comes to stay. He, we, we, do, he, we do a lot of playing. Mm. And he gives, you know, it's wonderful. So... I wanted him to be involved. Great. And then I just love Gene's energy. I yeah. thought it'd be great. So. And I saw you wrote somewhere in, um, that you were you found the the roads really blends well with yeah. the horn. Yeah. You did done some stuff with hands as well. You yeah. The roads. Yeah. Well, we did a lot of we did a load of gigs in Ireland to Kilkenny Festival. Right. 
and there was roads, really old roads there that they lent us. And uh, it was beautiful. And so we went around all these little really strange places. We played in some really great places. Yeah. And um, the sound was great. So, yeah. So there's some roads on Jazz French Horn, isn't there? We're on to uh, your most recent album in terms of recording, Triplicity. Yeah. Which was a totally different kettle mm. of fish with a horn trio, violin and piano. Yeah. Which is used in the classical world. Yep, um, Brahms yeah. wrote a horn trio, violin, horn, mm. piano. Which makes an appearance on the album. It does. Yeah. I stole it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, I was, I don't know the Brahms trio actually. No, so oh. I went last night and I had a listen to it, and yeah. I recognise, I, I see, I saw he nicked it from you. Yeah, yeah, he so, did. Yeah, yeah sent yeah. him a message. In retrospect. Yeah. So that was with um, Liam Noble, yeah. fantastic pianist, <coughs> yeah. um, and equally fantastic Thomas Gould on violin. Yeah. How did that come about? Such a different. Line? Um, actually, that was a lot of a lot of the music for that was written for, I work a lot with a folk singer called Sophie Ramsey, and she sings uh, folk songs, plays guitar, and I improvise on the horn. And, but she, she made an album called The Glassy Mountain, which was about a very sad story about a, a fiancé who was tragically killed. And um, she wrote this lovely album about it. And she wrote a poem about it, and I said, oh, I'd like to put some music to the, the poem. And so that's what some of the influence, some of the ideas came from this poem. And the actual project started as a, with poetry, violin, piano, and French horn, and poet. And uh, I mean, it's Thomas that said he'd like to record the music. So I said, well, it wouldn't work with, without the poetry. And it was, anyway, it was a long story. And I, so I rewrote a lot of the stuff that, uh, I'd written and wrote lots of new stuff. It's not, it wasn't all the, the, the couple of the tunes were based on what I'd originally written. And then we recorded the, we just went and recorded it. That's mostly, um, in fact, it's all, it's uh, all original, original music yeah, that on that one. one. Yeah. 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 Quite a different sound to the yeah. previous albums. It's great. Yeah. I like it. I and mean, yeah, in a way, I think great. the horn fits in very well in that. Mm-hmm. It does. That's nearer, that's nearer to. It works, I think. It does. I like it. I lo- love this album. And um, mm. there's one track on there, Trail of Tears. Yeah. Which is uh, beautiful and down-tempo mm. for a lot of it. And uh, you told me a story that was about the um, plight of the Native Americans. Yeah. And, um, well, I was reading a book at the time called yeah. Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. I'd already written a tune. In fact, some of that was from this original poem. That's why it's so sad. It's very sad, isn't it? But it's because this yeah. story, her poem, was very sad. So that did come from that. So, but I happened to be reading this book, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee, which is pretty, I mean, gives a new meaning to the word sad. You know, mm. it's, it's uh, pretty unbelievable. And Trail of Tears was a, a march they were forced to make. Uh, in the middle yeah. of winter. Join us or get out, wasn't well, it? Well, they marched. basically yeah. were marched to, yeah. to hope, you know, and they hope most of them wouldn't make it and most of them didn't. Yeah. And it was called The Trail of Tears.
Liam's such a <coughs> such a rhythmic yeah that's pushing right. yeah that's not what... rushing but he's he's got such drive and yeah that's why I wanted Liam to do it he yeah. needed that punch yeah so that's needed always that there punchy sort of play you know he's got great a, yeah. yeah I mean yeah. load of the tracks the Jack, Jack, Jacaranda 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 yeah yeah has that kind of really yeah. moving along and serene as well it's a bit of a, the nuts it, one isn't it serene yeah, yeah. it's a, a bit. type of butterfly oh is it yeah yeah which has reminded me of the the titles came after the the music. I was going to say <laughs> you, a lot of the titles. I put them to the music. You know, I write right. the music just as it yeah. without a title. You find something that fits, and then found a title that fitted. Yeah, mm. you've got some great names. Mm. One of these um, mm. tracks on here, "Sweet Tamarind." Oh yeah, I found a recording of you playing this on the accordion. Oh, that's right. Yeah, which is your first <coughs> instrument. It was, yeah, that right. Yeah, but young. Accordionist of the year. Well, right? no, I, actually, I started life as an Irish dancer. Did you? Can you believe that? Wow. Yeah, that's why I'm so fit. Well, you you weren't born in Ireland. You were <laughs> that's born why I don't move from the waist <laughs> up. I just <laughs> keep your hands above your head. Yeah, yeah. I just walk along like this. And uh, yeah, no, I started. I can't remember not doing it. I was so wow. I can't really. I think that's one of my first memories ever is is uh, trying to dance. You're, and uh, yeah, you're really steeped in the folk tradition then. I well, mean, I had Irish parents, and yeah. so we were born in this country, but we had Irish, right. Southern Irish parents, and uh, we, we had this great Irish community where we lived. So it was very, everything was from that. But the accordion, I started when I was about nine, and uh, nine or ten, and that was classical music. It wasn't that wasn't folk. It wasn't Irish music. It was all classical music. We did a lot of competitions, mm. which isn't a great way to play music, to be honest. Why the why the accordion? Did that come up? Uh, I think it's because my sister played it. Um, you know, like you know what kids are like. You know, yeah. their brother or sister does something, they want to do it. Yeah. In fact, that's why I wanted to dance because was, I was one of five kids, and we were all we all danced, and I was the fourth of five. So we had a little troop, you know, and we used to go around and do gigs, right, around Luton, yeah. the clubs. You yeah. know, do you still play together ever? Uh, no, not really. No, I was the only one that went on to be do music for a living. But um, yeah. yeah, we went as a kids group. We used mm-hmm. to go and do, do Saturdays were, were were gigs, couple of gigs sometimes mm. two on, on a Saturday, and then we took up the accordion. My sister took it up first, and then we all started, and then we had a group again, and then my sister and I became all Britain champions, and the I think it was called the Advanced Duet or something. When I was about 16, 17. Amazing. And that was the last time I played it in earnest, actually. Yeah. What Just, happened? Well, I got into the French horn. Right. And the, the accordion's great, um, but, it, you know, you'd have to be a soloist. And music colleges didn't really mm. acknowledge it at the time, but free basses came in round about that time. Uh, and if you learn free bass, then that's accepted now in colleges. Free bass. Which chromatic? So the piano accordion, on the whole, the traditional one is a you've got a fundamental note, the root, mm-hmm. and then you've got a major chord, minor chord, seventh chord, diminished chord. So the chords are made up for you. So as you as you get the umcha mm-hmm. sort of thing. As a free bass is chromatic, so you both hands, yourself. yeah, you know. Mm-hmm. And I heard it starting, you know, when I was doing competitions near the end, and people would be playing their playing their part, three part, four part inventions. And I thought, right. well. This is fantastic, but do I really want to do this? And the answer was no. Mm-hmm. So, I, and I got into the French horn, so that took over. 
Do you play the free bass? No. Style? No, I never got. It's something you'd have to really study. Mm, right. And I, I had no real urge to study mm. it. So no. But I you didn't. do still play bits and pieces of. I do. I mean, that recording you you mentioned mm-hmm. that was a friend of mine, but he wanted me to record a load of accordion music for his dad on his dad's accordion. Mm-hmm. Good friend of mine, Richard. Gordon. 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 Yeah. And uh, so I said, yeah, sure, if you want me to do that. So that's his dad's accordion. Right. Um, so that, it was a commission, if you like, yeah. you know, to record all his dad's favourite tunes. Yeah. And I bunged a couple of my own in mm-hmm. when I was at it. So Sweet Tamarind is one of those. Yeah. It so works quite well on the accordion, does. doesn't it? It does. It works really well. It sounds like you wrote, sounds like you wrote it for the accordion. Oh, right. Yeah. No. <laughs> I played it on his on his fantastic um, that gig we did in Birmingham, Far Inching Dreams, right? And um, uh, that was great. So he he obviously got wind that I played the accordion, Mm -hmm. and uh, I tried to keep it a secret, but (laughs) well, everyone's going to know. But it's all it all came out in the end. Yeah. And uh, but he wrote some lovely accordion part. I wrote a lovely accordion part. Mm And uh, so I doubled on. In fact, I've got a tour coming up with Mike Gibbs, and I'm playing uh, horn and accordion in London. There's a couple of gigs in London, yeah, yeah, Vortex. I'll try and come along. Yeah, it's a big band. It's his birthday, 80th birthday celebration. Yeah. So he's he's asked me to play the accordion in Mm -hmm. that. So it's it's starting to yeah, starting to pick up, picking up where you left off. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Elliot Galvin as well, the pianist. He's um, oh right, does a bit on accordion, I think. Ah, so seems to be a bit. Hugh Warren does a bit. Yeah, Ivan Neen does a bit. I think. Does he? Well, yeah. Yeah. So yeah. I see an accordion jazz thing going on. Yeah. yeah. Dan Tracy started on the accordion. Did he? Yeah. Great. Yeah, he was asked if he knew. He just liked the look of it, so he took it up when he was a kid. Amazing. And he was asked if he knew what it sounded like, and he said. Said yeah, yeah, I knew what it sounded like, but I thought I'd play it anyway. <laughs> that's brilliant. That's no, good. Oh, I love it. I mean, I do quite a lot of work on the recording. It's, it's, a, it's a great instrument. Yeah, it's kind of a carry around all in one, isn't it? Yeah, You've got a lot yeah. of freedom with that. Yeah, almost yeah. like a portable piano in some way, but with a sustain. Well, I suppose it was the you know before the age of synthesizers because you've got mm. all these couplers mm-hmm. that make different sounds. You know, like piccolo, flute. You know, Bandonian, mm. you know, bass. It's great. M- musette. Yeah. You know, Opening up all the different reeds. Such a rich tradition of it all over the world as well. It's yeah. got all the piazzolo Bandonian music, which is just yeah. wonderful. Yeah. And all the folk music from the That's British a completely Isles. different instrument. I've been asked to do some Bandonian. I have to explain that it's got nothing whatsoever all right. similar. <laughs> I'll take that I said, I'll put the Bandonian coupler on yeah, and carry yeah, on yeah. if you like. But no, they want you... Authentic. Right. Still a squeeze box of sorts. Yeah, yeah, but it's just nothing like it. Right. Okay. What differs 
Oh, it doesn't go the way you expect. I mean, it's like the bass is just, it's something you have to learn as a kid from tradition. So someone passing it down. You know, it's something, you know, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. I tried one and it's, the two don't relate at all. The workings of it. It's like saying you play the violin, so therefore you can play uh, the harp. Or something. Right. You know, it's completely, Yeah. they've got strings, but that's it. You know. mm-hmm. We haven't talked about French horn players in the, um, in the, in the history of the music already. There are a couple, yeah. and I was just curious as to whether you'd been particularly inspired by any of them. What do you mean, the jazz French horn players? Yeah, have any, yeah, I mean, any of Jack, them. Julius Watkins, obviously, he was the pioneer. You know, he's the guy that really pushed it. And he did some great stuff. There's some lovely recordings with Quincy Jones' big band on tour. He gets an extended solos. And he's, he's had amazing technique, this mm. guy. Ridiculous. So, yeah, he was, he's great. He did a lot with, like you said, with Monk. Monk yeah. and yeah. Sonny Rollins. Mm. And then John Clark, I like a lot. Played with uh, Gil Evans' band for years. He was great, great improviser. The feel, his feel is amazing. And that's what I, you know, I think that's the essence, isn't it? That's what we're all looking for. Uh, Tom Viner, who's the first jazz album I bought was his, on vinyl. I remember in New York, I went to Giardinelli's, this horn shop. And there's, it was his album. So I bought that. Great. And um, yeah, so yes, there's... There's quite a lot of American jazz French horn players. There's a Russian guy called Arkady Shulkloper who plays everything. He plays lots of different instruments, but he's, he's got phenomenal technique. He can play anything. <laughs> Ridiculous. And uh, yeah, it's just great. There's quite a few, but not many, yeah, not many English ones, mm. <laughs> British ones. These couple you mentioned, John Clark and uh, Julius Watkins mm. and Tom Varner. Were they, were they kind of catalysts to try and play French horn on to play jazz on the French horn, or are they? Is it more incidental that they just have, that there are um, other players? What for me? Yeah, not really. I it's the it's the the uh, genre that I love. Uh, it's the it's jazz that I love, and I happen to play the French horn. I mean, if I was an oboist, I'd be doing it on that. You see what I mean? It's the mm-hmm. it's the music that I love. I mean, it's the music. I've always listened to jazz from, from well, I was probably about 16, actually, when I started really listening. Someone gave me an album, Oscar Peterson's Night Train, and it blew me away. It absolutely blew me away, and that was it. It wore it out. I just loved it, and I got massively into Oscar Peterson. Now, as I said, I was trying to play piano, jazz piano, like Oscar Peterson. That's all I wanted to do. And the jazz and the horn was really classical. The two were completely separate. Neither, never the twain, as they say. Um, then, then I got this thing about the, the sound of the horn in jazz. And I thought I'd love to make the horn, orchestral horn sound, fit into jazz. That's, that was what... So maybe I, it was a little catalyst hearing the others because... They don't make an orchestral sound. I thought, although they, they're fantastic and they, the, the feel is brilliant and everything, and they're great improvisers, but the, I wanted to put, you know, the, literally what I was doing in the classical world and, and mm-hmm. try and see if I could fit it into jazz. Mm-hmm. That's so that was more, it was more that than... Yeah, that's than, pushing it along. Yeah, it was like yeah. a, you know, like a bee in my bonnet, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Or rod for my back. I don't know what, what the phrase, proper phrase would be. Or, uh, yeah, a rod for your bonnet. <laughs> a rod for my bonnet. There's a, there's a, a bonnet for my you. back. Yeah, a bee for your back. A bee for a my back. A bonnet for your back. A bonnet, yeah. What have you got lined up? Have you got, have you got um, ideas cooking at the moment? Um, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, I'm hopefully going to do more trio gigs um, abroad. And I've written a load of music for a string quartet and a friend of mine's string quartet, piano, bass, drums, French horn. Written lots of music for that, and which I hope to record soon. And uh, I've got a load of more twelve-piece music for my twelve-piece band Pavillon, Great. which I've written. So you're going to be doing more recordings? Hope, yeah, okay. hopefully. I'd like, to, I'd like to do the string quartet one, although I haven't got any gigs or anything in mind for that. Uh, that's purely writing. But I love to, you know, when you write, you love to get it down. You mm-hmm. know, it's nice to get it down. Yeah. Might do one gig or something, but it's be quite a difficult one to sell, that one. But then um, uh, the 12-piece, I'm going to record, hopefully, beginning next year. Um, maybe even before that, uh, We've got a few gigs at the festival. London Jazz Festival, we've got a gig coming up. And the Cambridge Jazz Festival, we've got a gig coming up for that. And um, hopefully another tour next next autumn Great. with this new album. Yeah. yeah. Looking busy then. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm writing, writing yeah. a lot, you know, which is great. You know, I just write. I don't think really... Sometimes I write a tune for the 12-piece and think, actually, this is sound better on... Mm-hmm. And the uh, Jaws Harp and Kazoo or something. So I'll write the Jaws Harp and Kazoo album. No. I mean, what? Yeah. what? <laughs> Looking forward to that. But, yeah. yeah. Some of the string music yeah. I wrote for the 12 piece right. uh, in mind and thought, actually, this is great on a string quartet. So I've rewritten it, um, which is great. I think that's, for me, it works like that. Just write. Mm-hmm. Don't, don't write thinking of specific. Mm-hmm. That's what works for me. Just keep going. Just write every day, just write. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then see what what works well great and finally um, Desert Island Disc oh yeah I'm just curious you got one what would you take oh an album yeah oh what comes to mind well Night Train comes to mind immediately right for nostalgia yeah. for nostalgia but that's an impossible one isn't it what album would you take yeah Goodness me. Sorry, I'm not throwing that one at anyone yet. But um. Oh, right. No, I mean, that's the first thing that came to my mind. Okay. But, but that's nostalgia. Yeah. Right. I still do love listening to Oscar Peterson. I think he's great. Mm. I think he's great. But, oh, man, that's, 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 that's a hard. That's, that, I mean, that's impossible, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Um, Maybe, man, I don't know. I often think I've been listening to some Kenny Wheeler. You know, Double Double U? There's a great track on there with a fantastic extended solo by Michael Brecker. You know, I take a lot of Michael Brecker and transcribe all his right. solos. Yeah. That'd be good. Sure. You'd have time. Yeah. I'd have time, yeah. Yeah, you would. You Is could it... write them in the sand as well. You could <laughs> you could get a stick and make some staves. You'd be doing it every day, though. You would. It'd be like the be... sand. Yeah. I'd I love the sand sculpture, people. Do you know, you know the scans, sand sculptures? Yeah. On yeah. beaches, they do these amazing. It reminds me of improvising, yeah. jazz. It reminds me of improvisations and jazz, where it's all about the moment. Mm-hmm. I love that, and, it, and then it's the, gone. they make these incredible sculptures that look amazing, and yeah. then they're all washed away, and that's it. They've gone. Yeah, I love that. I think it's really great. Yeah, 
and it reminds me of jazz. It's, it's in the moment. You've got a, mm-hmm. recordings are great because for a writer, for a composer, you, they're great because you get this recording of a, a record of what you've been upstairs scribbling away at. Mm-hmm. But really, it's about the gig. Yeah. That's, that's where it happens. That's what, you know, that's where the music came from. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. Yeah. Well, well, thank you, Jim, for talking to me. It's no, been it's a pleasure. Thanks yeah, for it's been wonderful. Yeah, thanks for asking. Yeah, it's and really uh, good. go find Jim out in London and elsewhere. He's uh, all over the UK and um, abroad quite regularly. Regularly, and pick up an album and uh, come say hi. Turquoise Coconut is a London-based independent record label. For information about releases, videos, collaborations and more, go to turquoisecoconut.com or find us on Facebook. Turquoise Coconut. New music for curious ears.